Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Ministry present Journeys in Faith. Now, here's Andy Santis. Hi, welcome to this episode of Journeys in Faith. This is Anne DeSantis, and I'm excited because I have an amazing guest on this show, and she's a friend of not only Fiat Ministry Network, but Patchwork Heart Radio. I have Blythe Kaufman. She is a wife, a mother of three, uh, a children um, of three children, an, and, an endonist, an associate professor at the University of Connecticut School of Dental Medicine. She is the founder of the Children's Rosary, an international prayer group movement of children. She is the author of the book, Children's Rosary, a prayer group movement for children. She's also the author of a new book called The Child Consecration to Jesus Through Mary, Following in the Spirit of St. Therese, the Little Flower. And sorry if I didn't get that completely perfect, but I am amazed and, and just so thrilled to have you here as a guest on Journeys in Faith. Thank you so much, Anne, for having me. Yes. So why don't we start out with your faith journey? You know, the name of the show is Journeys in Faith. So we'll spend five or 10 minutes on your faith journey. Oh, thank you, Anne. Uh, well, just to give you a little bit of back, background of, um, I grew up to, as a, a Catholic, um, pretty active in my parish. I went to Catholic school. I was working in my church rectory, serving dinner to the priests at night and went to World Youth Day. But in my 20s, I really became a lukewarm Catholic. I was going to dental school to become a dentist and busy with studies and things like that. I would go to church on Sunday, but otherwise my prayer life was pretty much absent. And um, I ended up getting married to um, one of my classmates. He was on the medical side, so he um, was a physician. And so we got married. I ended up doing a residency at endodontics, which is root canals and surgeries, and had just uh, entered into private practice as an endodontist. And so things were really looking up and, you know, I was thinking, wow, okay, we're starting all this after all the schooling, we got a house, um, and, you know, sort of checking the boxes of all the different things you'd be hoping for. And, uh, also, um, so I was at that point, um, just about 30. And so we ended up, um, uh, finding out that I was pregnant and in the midst of all that, um, really something started to go wrong. And so that was um, my health and I didn't really understand what was going on. I was having a lot of joint problems and in my hands in particular, but other parts, my, my neck, my back and different things. But um, the, my hand problems became so bad that I, I had to stop practicing after just one year. And I was really self-conscious about it. I wasn't really telling anybody why I was stopping. I was pregnant. So I kind of said, oh, um, you know, I want to be home, but it would be a little while before I would really explain to the people I worked with why I had stopped working. And that's when I got diagnosed with a rare uh, genetic condition where it basically, um, there was a defect in my collagen, how it was made. And so in about twenties and thirties, you start to see um, a lot of decline. And so that would mean joint dislocations and it's just all your ligaments and, and things become too stretched out. So they stopped holding bones. So when you're young, you're very flexible, your types of people that are in like circus and this kind of thing. But, but um, once you get into the twenties and thirties um, you can start to have a lot of injuries and disability. And so that's because of my, all the work I did with my hands. Um, I think those took a beating, but then also um, the geneticist said they don't really recommend pregnancy um, because um, it can cause even further decline and especially postpartum. And so that came to pass. So once my son Asher was born, um, 
I started dislocating both joints in my back and my ribs, my hands, um, eventually it was my elbow and took a couple of years, but then I started having problems into my shoulder. So I had a frozen shoulder, could barely move my arm up. Um, through a lot of different injuries, I stopped being able to drive, um, but never returned to private practice. Um, and then I just started losing lots of function. Like my husband would have to put on my shoes. I have to wear very loose clothes because it was hard for me to pull up, you know, just simple pants and things like that. That was became so weak. I could barely walk like even to my neighbor's house next door or stand for more than a couple of minutes. So um, it was just, um, and I have a really strong um, sense of like wanting to stand on my own two feet. My mom was just a single parent. So I always kind of felt like I really need to get schooling and all these things so I can stand on my own two feet and take care of myself. And so this was a big blow to me. Um, and I really think I, looking back mixed in with the self-reliance was a lot of pride really, um, that, you know, somehow I was responsible for where I was in the world, you know, that the, the good fortune that I was finding at this point was somehow due to what I was doing. And now, you know, I must be strong, you know, I must be able to work hard enough to find an answer. But what I really came to find out was that our Lord was calling me to something else and he really wanted me to just surrender. And so for about two years, I just, I was very stubborn. I just kept fighting it. It was, no, I don't want to, I wasn't going to turn to, to intent to prayer. Um, I was just going to keep looking. And so there really was a final breaking point. Um, and, uh, I'd say that was about 2009. And that was, I was in such excruciating pain. I'd had so many dislocations. I was having injections in my hands to try to stabilize things where I'd had so many dislocations that we would be injecting irritating solutions, just like 70 injections in my hand that would blow up. And it was, when I say excruciating, and then I'd have all these joint dislocations that I could barely sleep. Um, I was essentially like a puddle. I mean, I, I, I was at the lowest possible low. And it was that point, I just I ended up going to confession. I hadn't been in like a, over a year or so, maybe even longer. And um, I just kind of poured out my heart. And um, I remember even just like trying to blow my nose and in because I was crying and I did hurt my hand. And I thought, how pathetic are you? You can't even cry about your condition um, without hurting yourself. But at that moment, our Lord just poured a lot of mercy into my heart. And um, I started to pray uh, a novena of divine mercy with um, my, I had a half sister. So she started praying with me. And after um, about a week, I started to feel a lot of hope come back into my heart. And also, um, yeah, I started to gently stabilize just a little bit. I mean, I wasn't, I would never become, I'm not like the way I was. I am still completely disabled. I still need help with almost everything. I'm, um, if I need to get out of the house, somebody needs to open the door. Or I have an automated door too. But so if I need to get food out of a refrigerator, someone's got to open it. And I mean, I'm very dependent on everybody. But, um, but I think our Lord, again, wanted there was a reasons for all this. And now I can, I can see those reasons. So he was kind of taking everything down to nothing, like just slowed my life down to, I read somewhere that this woman was so disabled that she would just watch a snail in her room move. And I was like, yep, that's about right. Yep. That's about the speed that I was brought to was watching a snail move. I mean, that's how little I could do. And then he slowly, I started to get a little bit of stabilization. I started to be able to walk after a couple of years, more than just across the room. And, um, and I started to teach in the dental school, um, just part-time. 
and um, then became the the mission that I would ultimately be called to do, which I didn't know I was going to be doing. But um, so that was, I mean, that's pretty much the, uh, the you know, the, the roots of my conversion story. I mean, and very slowly I would start to go back to, to, to daily mass. Um, I prayed that I'd be able to have the strength to walk because I couldn't drive. And then I pretty quickly was able to do that. So I started going to mass and then there were some women praying the rosary after mass. So I started praying the rosary with them and then started, um, we adopted two children. So older children from an orphanage. So we, because my health wasn't good, we ended up with a family of three children. And so we would pray. Um, I started to pray the rosary at night um, with the kids. And so that started it. I mean, m- many more things would intensify with my prayer life and fasting and a couple times a week and um, additional prayers and things like that. But that was pretty much um, kind of how our Lord drew me back was through a lot of, he spoke to me through suffering. I mean, that's how he called me. A lot of people are brought back to our Lord through the cross and I'm no exception. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for sharing your faith journey. And you were a guest also on Sowing Hope with Patchwork Heart Radio with Bill Snyder and I not too long ago. So if anybody's watching and they'd like to learn a lot more about you, I know that you went into even more detail on your faith journey on that show when you were on, it's at uh, Patchwork Heart Ministry on YouTube and just look up Blythe Kaufman. So thank you so much for sharing. And then of course that led you to what you're doing now. Now I would like to read to our audience some of your websites. You gave me four, so uh, I'm gonna give give them to the audience here. It's childrensrosary.org childrensrosary.blogspot.com. That's the second one. Then rosariodeninos.org. I hope I said that correctly. And then the last one is childrenconsecration.com. Now we're going to unpack all of those during the show. And of course, there's the book there that uh, Kent just put up on the screen. We're going to talk about that during the second half of the show, the the child consecration to Jesus through Mary. So you are also a Catholic author. So could you just pick up from the time of your conversion story and your family to how you got involved in these ministries? Oh, thank you so much, Anne. And I just mentioned it's um, actually childconsecration.com, not children, but it's fine. Childconsecration.com. Okay, childconsecration.com. But, um, but yeah, absolutely. Um, well, so it was in this, this uh, state where I was going back to mass and I was praying that we had a call for help from our parish, um, actually the pastor who was seeing a real financial problem in our church. And he was asking for increased donations and a little idea came in my prayer light, you know, that maybe we should bring our children to pray for our parish uh, because the prayers of children are so strong. So I approached him and he had made an appeal a couple of times and things hadn't really improved. So he said, yeah, let's bring the children together. So on April 10th, 2011, so it's been just about 10 years, um, the children came together in our lower chapel to pray for our parish. And it ended up that weekend, we had the um, highest collection, second only to Easter and Christmas for the remainder of the year. So it was a really remarkable, and nobody really knew that was why they were praying. It was just, and it was a small group that had some disabled children. I mean, not that we sought disabled children, but, um, and they were from varied backgrounds and they just knelt in prayer of the rosary. And we pretty much after that said, well, is this just going to be a one-time meeting or do we want to continue meeting as a prayer group? And so the parents sort of agreed and, and basically children's rosary was born. And so for a year and a half, we met as one prayer group and on the feast of the Holy Rosary, 
another group formed on the other side of the United States. And um, we had a little event at our church and people from other parishes came for the children to pray at children's rosary. And there was a speaker and different things. And people just came up to me after and said, we want, you know, they basically wanted to have this at their parish and their hearts were touched and to see the children praying. And that led to, you know, one mother starting a group in her parish, then another, and then she told somebody else. And so in a very grassroots way, uh, it spread across the U.S. So it was that on the Feast of the Holy Rosary, a group started on the other side of the country, kind of showing us that was what Our Lady was going to do in the next year. And so indeed that happened and um, groups began to start in the U.S. And then um, that became spread to international groups really on all the different continents. And so at this point, we're really at about... 34 countries um, around the world with children's rosary prayer groups. So this is our website. It doesn't, um, if you click on the red dot underneath the map, um, I don't know if Kent can do that for us, but there's, um, there you go. You get a sense of some of the locations. There's even one up way up in Magadan, Russia, all the way up in Siberia. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's, uh, Seychelles in the off of the east coast of Africa. That's not an accident that there's a dot in the middle of the ocean. There's a little island there. Um, the, there's one in Hawaii. There's it, it's it's all it's it's in different places, and in some of them it's very intensive areas. So you would just see one air blob, but really there's a lots of activity in that area of lots of groups. So um, it's uh, it's it's been by the grace of God, and I think um, as I you know sharing my my disability and things, one could see that, you know, a person, oh, and here underneath you see that we're sending, we recently sent 17,000 rosaries to Tanzania. Um, and so it's been by the grace of God that this has spread as it has. Um, and the groups meet in parishes, schools, and orphanages, and they meet some of them monthly, some of them weekly, and even in some parts of the world daily. And uh, we, so with these different groups forming, um, over time, you know, people would mention, come visit and that kind of thing. But with all my disabilities, I thought, you know, that's really probably not ever going to happen, but because I need so much help and I get injured, just like driving on the smooth roads in my town or a bump or pothole or something. But in prayer, um, I started to feel that I was, I would, should go to Africa to visit some more groups in East Africa. And I presented it to my husband and he said he thought it was a horrible idea because he knows how disabled I am and, and he didn't want to see, you know, further decline. So, um, so we just started praying about it as a family at our family prayer time. And so um, after several months of me praying for our trip to Africa, he eventually said, okay, so I guess we're going to Africa. So, um, and, but I just had this confidence in my heart that everything was going to be okay. And so we, um, we settled on June of 2019 was going to be the month we were going to go. And um, this was not something through a tour or preset. This was day to day going from group to group in very remote areas. We followed the groups, whether they were in far flung places that had no roads and things, we went to them. So that dictated our, our travel was just following the groups and trying to figure out how we could go from one to the other cross borders and this kind of thing. And we didn't have a lot of time to plan because as I found with our blessed mother, and um, even though I wish sometimes it weren't the case, a lot of times she, um, she, there's not always a lot of preparation for some of the things um, you just have to be ready to go. And um, 
part of, I think, maybe why this happens is because everything isn't so planned out to the, all the details laid out, this gives her room and the Holy Spirit room to kind of make connections and put you in the right place at the right time. So although it was a bit scary to not have all of the details worked out, um, it was, I think, as it should have been. And so um, as the two weeks before we left, um, I was hoping everything was coming together and physically I was hoping to be in good shape. And it was interesting to see that I had a, a string of in injuries. And I really saw those injuries as kind of a gift from Our Lady and Our Lord to say to me, by your own strength, you can't make this trip. I mean, you're, you're in rough shape. <laughs> you can't even handle a, a fairly, you know, protected life here in your own home. Um, so, so I felt that. And, but the other thing I kept feeling was that I needed to, I felt like I needed to prostrate myself at church. I felt like I needed to just physically surrender myself. And so I twice tried to get down on my knees and first time I didn't hurt myself. The second time I did, but um, managed to have a pretty good comeback from that. But what I think that was where my, where my spirit was there. Lord was just saying, you need to surrender this and I'm going to take care of you. And, um, you know, down to the moments of, of driving to New York city to get on the airplane, hurting my neck and thinking, this is absolutely not how I'm supposed to get on a plane for a direct flight to Nairobi. And I'm going to be in a, you know, a plane, not able to move around too much for 16 hours. But, but again, um, once we got into Africa, uh, things really, um, our Lord, I could just see his hand moving and guiding us and protecting us, even though um, the conditions that we were in were ones I physically, I don't even know how we were able to keep up this stamina. I mean, we had very little sleep with time change and we were traveling um, sometimes hours between locations, um, many, many hours arriving very late at night. Um, going long periods of time without eating and things like that, just things that would rack anybody's body to the end. And, and yet we were able to continue. So it was also kind of neat is that my husband agreed to come and he's not Catholic. So this was like a missionary trip to Africa with, you know, my husband coming along. Um, we were traveling with 3000 rosaries. We were traveling with film equipment to try to document what we we're seeing because we wanted people to see what we were going to what we were doing there and what has transpired all these years we've been sending rosaries, sending basically planting seeds. And now we were going to get to see what was happening. And so our first stop was uh, Kenya. So we, um, we arrived and met with the Cardinal in Nairobi and quickly were went off to a very remote central area near Savo national park, which is one of the largest parks in um, nature preserves in, in Kenya. And we were staying um, in a pair, staying in a actually we got into the town and there were all these like corrugated metal things that said like a hotel. And my husband said, was wondering as he was looking, he's like, is, are we basically going to be staying in a corrugated, you know? Um, and then we pulled up this little, you know, stone enclosure that had um, rooms and, and it wasn't like any, you know, wouldn't have been anything that would have been on like travel things that you would have been looking for, but we were staying, it was beautifully pleasant and wonderful and was just down the street from the parish we wanted to visit. So um, we, um, we, that area was right in um, pretty much in the middle of Maasai tribe area. And so um, we were able to speak with Father Washira who shared with us firsthand what it's been like to have a children's rosary. And Our Lady and Our Lord allowed us on this trip to see what it 
what a children's rosary has done in a group, in a parish for after it's been there maybe two years, a year, longer, and then some brand new, and some parishes that didn't have them, the obstacles they were facing so that you could really see the evolution and where people came from. So Father um, Washira was sharing with us that he had just been re transferred not that long before from Rombo Parish, which was right along the Tanzania border, also within complete Maasai tribe area. And I mean, these people are somewhat nomadic um, and they're living with animals that are not contained like wild animals. So, I mean, in some of the areas where the groups were meeting, you know, that you could have been mauled by wild animals because they're just amongst the people that are living there. And um, what I didn't understand, but later understood by meeting a, another priest in, in Tanzania is that some of these areas are very hard to evangelize, that the people have been struggling for decades trying to evangelize the Maasai tribe. Um, and what ultimately happened is they started a children's rosary prayer group of 20 children. And it, what he described is he said, nobody knew, expected what happened. He said, this thing spread like a bushfire, he said. And it just started spreading from outpost to outpost. So a parish there would have a pastor, and in his case, one other priest, and he had 24 outposts. So to be able to, to support all of those, you might see them only a couple times a year. You might, and they don't even always have a car. So these, these are hour long walks to get out to these outposts. And so slowly, actually not so slowly, they started forming these little prayer groups in the outposts. And he, um, and I don't even know how for almost time for, for our breaks. So you tell me because we can jump back in again. Um, after Thank you. Break. Yeah, no, this is fascinating. Honestly, I mean, you, you're giving me a great visual and I'm sure that the people that are watching, uh, and it's incredible just to imagine the lives that were changed in Africa. And then when we saw that map of all the different places that your ministry has made an impact, I mean, that's also really incredible too. So yeah, we're about a few minutes away from the break. So please do finish up with whatever, whatever you want to talk about, about this uh, wonderful trip. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, so Father Wisher was saying that there was a lot of broken families there. And um, a lot of times there were issues with, with fathers and, and just difficulties with their children and things like that. And what he saw was that these, these parents were coming back together from their children praying. Um, and there was a lot of conflict between outposts. And after the children's rosary started, a peace came over to the region. And so they started to be able to work together. And he was saying, you know, once when you have peace in a place, it draws people into the church. But when you have um, division, it, it really just scatters everybody. And so this, um, and a big part of, you know, the priesthood in Africa is, is that the community supports you. And if you're in an area where, you know, the community isn't, isn't going to church and isn't helping with donations, you can have situations where the priest is, is struggling to put food on the table. And so he, after this group, people were just so generous with him and um, took care of him. And uh, the faith began to grow really strongly. And I mean, that was just... Um, you know, I hope after the break, we might be able to hit on a couple of the other, the, you know, the other countries. But um, when he got moved to the next parish, he said, you know, this, he recognized that he wanted to start implementing this um, there and in schools. 
um, right away because of he's because of the fruits that he saw coming from it. And you think in Africa that it's super easy to evangelize, but they have serious obstacles. And this was just a, a real um, beautiful witness of what our lady and our Lord can do with children and the rosary. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you again. Now I'm going to read off some of your websites again, just a couple of them is childrensrosary.org and then childrensrosary.blogspot.com. We'll go over the other ones during the rest of the show. So we will be right back here on Journeys in Faith. Hi, my name is Ann DeSantis, and I'm the director for the St. Raymond Nonatus Foundation for Freedom, Family, and Faith. You can learn about us on our website at nonatis.org. I'm here to tell you today about two great podcasts that I hope that you will tune in. The first Tuesday of every month at 8 o'clock, we have a podcast specifically for Catholics affected by divorce. From 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern, go to Philly Nonatis on YouTube to subscribe. In addition, we also have a podcast the last Thursday of every month. That's also at 8 o'clock Eastern Time for one hour. And that one is for families in crisis. We have some really great guests coming up soon, so hope to see you then. Please also consider the fact that you can make spiritual direction appointments with us, with our spiritual moderator. All you need to do is go to our website on the contact form and just reach out to us. We'd be happy to hear from you and look forward to setting up an appointment. So we'd love to connect with you. Please share this video and let people know that we're there for families affected by divorce and also families in crisis. Thank you. Patchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network present the Discover Your Mission series. Now I had been brought up without any prayer, without Bible, without church, nothing of that kind. And so when my father died, I became suicidally depressed. I, I had no desire to live. And yet, by the grace of God, uh, whenever I got to the point of actually taking my life, I always had this interior conviction that if I took my life, I would simply find it again on the other side and it would be permanent misery. But it wasn't until I became a wife and a mother and I began to try and pass my faith on to my children that I realized that everything I knew about Jesus was memorized doctrine. I was a good man, I was a good father, I was instilling the sacraments into my family. Uh, I was definitely not intentional, I was stuck broke in my faith. But what kind of strength did he have? Jackie did not just have a strength of body or baseball skill. He had a strength inside of his spirit, a courageous meekness that empowered him to play the game. And I tell him what is going on with me and he's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, no, no, no. I think this is like some sort of miracle, dude. And he's like, okay, you know, of course, but I'll believe it when I see it, honey. You've been trying to quit and you've been saying this and saying that. And I'm, a, you know, he, his big line to me is, you shouldn't say things. <laughs> 
because I never followed through on them. And so this was week after week, month after month, he is looking at me like, this is a miracle. There is no way that you, on your own, could have done this. As we are called to sing, all of us are called to sing. All of us are called to express ourselves and join our voice into the unity of the church. Uh, often with my choirs, I, I ask them to listen to each other, to listen to the, the sound that they make together as one. That's what we're aiming for. Through the harmony or unison, we're aiming for a one sound. You need to decide. What are you going to participate in? Are you going to participate in the historic Christian idea of the altar of sacrifice, which is in the Eucharist, or not? Hi, welcome back to Journeys in Faith here on Fiat Ministry Network. It's Anne DeSantis here with Blythe Kaufman, my amazing guest. And before the break, we were talking about her ministries, which is the childrensrosary.org and childconsecration.com, which we didn't talk about yet, but we're going to unpack during this half of the show. Right before the break, we were talking about your trip to Africa, Blythe. And I know that there was some more that you wanted to tell us about. So please do pick up on that story. Oh, thank you so much, Anne. Uh, well, I think where we left off, we were in Kenya. And um, from there, which is, it's very desert-like there. Um, there's not a lot of water. The stream beds are dry. And we ended up crossing over the border and into Tanzania, which turned out to be much more lush and ended up um, very close to Mount Kilimanjaro. As I told you, we didn't do a lot of specific, so much in the planning phases. We were just following children's rosary prayer groups and one of the places we were visiting, um, I didn't even realize was on the side of Mount Kilimanjaro. So as we're driving, you know, my husband's saying like my ears, you know, my ears are popping and my son's saying the same. And we're seeing the rivers now rushing with water because um, there's the snow melt from Kilimanjaro and we're headed up and the climate's getting cooler. And um, so we ended up staying in a parish on the side of Mount Kilimanjaro, you know, not up to where people climb to, but but on the elevation on the side of it. And um, we ended up meeting, I mentioned this only that we met Father Ruichi, who is the head of all the Catholic schools in, um, in that diocese of Moshi. And you had, in the first part of that, shown a couple of barrels that we recently sent out. And so from that meeting, so some of these, this trip was seeing ex existing children's rosary groups. And um, some of this trip was sowing seeds for new ones. And so through our, our chance meeting there, um, just a connection I wrote I, while we were in Africa, wrote to him, someone suggested I meet with him. Um, he made an hour trip out to this parish. We met, um, he was taken with the children's rosary prayer movement. And we've since sent him thousands of rosaries now, just in the last couple of weeks, we just sent him, um, I think 17,000 rosaries to help uh, begin. More. He's already begun a number of children's rosary prayer groups in his schools, but also um, more even in the parishes and he hopes to have 50 in the parishes with the rosaries we just sent him. And he oversees the Northern zone as well, which is another four or five dioceses where he has sort of an uh, advisory role. So he's gonna be beginning to move those 
um, materials and help groups start in those additional dioceses. But from, um, so from driving there, we headed back down to Mombasa um, and we're in a real inner city area um, meeting in uh, really densely populated areas with lots of children in schools, um, starting you know, sowing seeds for more children's rosary groups. And um, there's a lot there to tell, but to, to just finish it off, we ended up in Uganda. And it felt like in always, Our Lady was having us follow the, the, the water supplies in Africa. We, here we were at the major water supply um, for a good part of Kenya and Tanzania is Mount Kilimanjaro. And then we were, we finished our trip in Jinja, which is the mouth of the Nile, which of course supports a lot of agriculture with the waters there. And just this kind of idea that, that our, you know, that our Lord is through the prayers is just a harvest of, of fruit was coming. And we got to meet um, Father Jude, who had been working in with spreading the children's rosary in his parish and schools. And we were traveling with a film crew and they weren't even all Catholic. And what they started witnessing is just to see their reaction. Because of course we were amazingly touched, but they were touched and they were hearing, they were just taking all these interviews, children, parents, teachers, and one of the film crew was a teacher and he said he hadn't seen kids like this in his country. They were respectful. They were prayerful. They were leaders. Um, we heard that from Father Judy. He's like, we are creating for this children's rosary leaders in faith, in their faith. And um, we were seeing um, conversions, children wanting to become Catholic who weren't, that were part of it in their schools. Um, and they were so generous. They gave of their want. I mean, they brought us all the fruit and vegetables that they had from their little little home, tiny farms that they were hungry and they would give and make a line to give to us. When we would pull in, they would be lining the streets, singing, throwing rose petals, I mean, flower petals. They, they gave so much love. And by the end, we had run out of rosaries and we were expecting to have several barrels waiting for us that we had sent ourselves, but they were stuck in customs. And I thought, why is this happening? Why can't we give them rosaries? They've been waiting so long and we're going to see them. We could give them. And it really, I had to go really deep in my heart and say, what, what, why? And I realized I didn't have anything physical to give them. I didn't have anything left in my bag. We'd been on the trip too long. The only thing I could do was give them my love. And so when we would see them, I'm thinking of one of Father Jude's, his parish, there was um, a group of children who had been come from the outposts. So not only the main parish, but all these different outposts, some of them having walked several hours um, from the morning and we didn't get there about three. And so we gathered them around and I just stopped and looked each of the children in their eyes and just told them that they were important, that I loved them, um, that I was grateful for them having made the trip. We, they had prayed, I think 15 decades waiting for me, waiting for us to arrive. And at that, the skies started to get very dark and everyone looked around and said, there's a storm coming. And so the kids had to get, get going because it was, this can be, you know, there's no streetlights, they're dirt roads, they're hours of walking. So at, I don't know, 4, 4.30, they started walking home and we were going to visit a, a home. We had to abandon that. I mean, you're moving all around on the dirt roads. And they said, we got to go back to this hotel we're staying at. Soon as we got to the hotel, no rain. Next day we go back and Father Jude said, um, it was Corpus Christi, he said, some of the kids didn't get home till 10 at night, but that only the areas where the children's rosary prayer groups were, did it rain. And in Africa, 
rain is always seen as a blessing. And so even though these ch children had not eaten all day, had walked through dark and rainy conditions, they saw it as a miracle. They saw it as, you know, our Lord's hand in it. And they were grateful. I mean, that's what our Lord will do in the heart of a child that's been praying is that our, they see our Lord in everything and give him thanks and praise. And so we were all, even though we, you know, um, the children weren't upset at all at all. And he said, the other thing was there would be no crop damage, no damage to the homes, which would have occurred with that heavier rain. So it was a very gentle rain. And it was just one of the many signal graces and blessings that happened on the trip. But um, I mean, of course the children were the, you know, the, the big gift to us to see them. And they had made us little dolls and out of scraps of their own clothes, the clothing for the dolls out of corn husks and just embraced us with their little acts of love and welcome to us. So um, it was a tremendous gift. And um, in a different part of Uganda, we get to see schools where unlike Father Jude's school, they'd only had a children's rosary for about three or four months. And the teachers were saying that the children were already very much um, transformed. And one of them, the, the schools, they were speaking in Uganda so that the, um, the film crew uh, translated for me and said, um, they were wondering, they had a little poem, they said, they were wondering why so many baptized adults, there are so many baptized adults and so few adults praying. And they pondered this for a while. Like, you know, why are there so many baptized adults and so few praying? And then, and then um, they said, we will be a witness of prayer. So um, they, this trip really showed me that our Lord and our lady in a special way are calling the children to help. They're calling them to prayer they're calling them to holiness and the children are answering. And um, through their prayers and their things, their sacrifices, acts of love, this helps our lady. This helps our lady everywhere, you know? So what happened there helps us here. I mean, we're all connected through this tapestry of prayer. And so um, so through this, as this, this prayer movement continues to grow and spread, it's like we started with the wind in our face and now we've got the wind at our backs. And so um, areas that are particularly hard to work to touch people because they're so secularized. I'm thinking of places in certain areas of Europe, um, but even in the United States, I mean, just there's so many distractions. And so because of the way that Our Lady has guided this movement and our and the Holy Spirit, we were able to have so many children praying that helps it to, to move. And here we are in the United States, we send them rosaries and it's this beautiful sharing of what we have and sharing our faith and feeling very much connected. Um, and here, don't worry, in the United States, we have seen graces flowing. We had a school start uh, in Birmingham in 2017 in May. They meet weekly. And this isn't the only place where we have a school, but I just thought it was a beautiful example because the children meet um, every week and at 2.30 central time, to pray the rosary as a little prayer group in their, in their classrooms. And the whole school afterwards, you know, as the time went on, the, the principal said it was transformed. Again, same hallmark, peace. Like the teachers felt the peace. There was peace with them, between them and the children. And the curriculum started changing. They introduced Latin. They went to a more classical-based education. I mean, just if you want to know what, if Our Lady was going to outline a curriculum, I mean, it just seemed like so many things shifted there. And they've continued um, and they actually just, uh, a number of the classes used our new con uh, child consecration book, which kind of um, would be leading into that. But 
just to know we've got a lot of resources for schools and for parishes too. But if people listening and watching, um, you know, want to bring this to their local parochial school, it's actually fairly straightforward to introduce it. Um, so, so that's, um, I know I've kind of, they're uh, given a lot of information in a pretty short amount of time, but I don't know if you had something you wanted to say, Anne, I pretty much. No, 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 thank you, thank you. It's just beautiful. Um, I told you at the beginning of the show, as although I am a quote uh, host, uh, by nature, I'm more of a listener. So <laughs> uh, it's great for me to sit and listen to you because that's exactly what I love to do. Uh, and I think that you engaged our uh, audience as well with the wonderful work that you're doing. So um, I think it's just incredible. Is there anything else that you want to share about Africa or about your ministry before we go on to the, the children's con consecration, the childconsecration.com? I think that's, you know, that would be what we've discussed is good because I'd love to kind of segue into what the latest thing our Lord and our Lady have been leading us to, which is this new consecration material. Let's talk. Yeah, I think it's amazing. Now the website is childconsecration.com and the book was already put up on the screen. So please do tell us all about it. Oh, thank you, Anne. Well, um, this is a project that started about three years ago and, and it came kind of like an initial little inspiration in one evening while I was trying to go to sleep actually. And it's a, um, we started with an, I understood that, you know, I was being drawn or through an inspiration to work on a consecration for children. And it initially began with an allegory that was set in, in the garden. And so that little inspiration and I, I kind of jotted down the ideas that were coming to me. I could really that um, so much of it came, was brought together through experiences I had throughout my entire life in the gardens. But I did, as I put them together, having spent time with my mother and growing up and now with my children, of course, they're my hands in the garden. Um, I set that down, but I didn't even know. It's almost like a child who gets like a excavation kit and they get like a chisel and they have to find the fossil inside. They're not actually exactly sure what they've been given. And part of the gift is the fossil, but part of it's kind of finding out what's in there. So, you know, I took that allegory and I just took it to prayer, took it to fasting and daily mass. And I would keep like a little notebook. And so little things would come, you know, inspirations while I was in, in mass, I just jot them down. And then, you know, pouring over the St. Louis de Mont for consecration and a number of different things, pulling them together. It sort of unfolded very slowly over months uh, in prayer. And of course, being a mom, you have to put things aside and deal with your duties, even though I'm very limited, I still oversee like homeschooling and things. So um, it took a long time of prayer and um, kind of just coming back to it a number of times. But uh, eventually, you know, for almost almost three years it took to come to fruition. Um, one of the children that's been part of the children's rosary actually did all the illustrations. So I thought that was kind of a beautiful um, way that our Lord would, uh, yeah, that's the cover she did at age nine. And I think the face on Our Lady is just so tender and um, it's so perfect because Our Lady is presenting her son and it's actually the spirit of St. Therese and of course St. Therese of the child Jesus. So you have the child and you know, in the Diary of St. Faustina, um, uh, there's a portion where St. Faustina says, Lord, why do you keep coming to me as a child? And then he says something to the effect of like, well, as soon as you become more childlike, you know, I'll stop appearing to you as a, as a child. You know, so um, there's this wonderful uh, beauty of growing in simplicity. And so um, 
from the very first night of the inspiration, I knew this book was going to involve St. Therese in the, in, in the spirit of it. So not that you like just overlay it with lots of quotes of St. Therese, but actually the way that it, it evolved was very much written in her spirit. So it was very simple um, with, with an allegory that gets unpacked over the days. And um, here I was imagining that this book would be used primarily by children, people who are part of the children's rosary perhaps, or children that had some level of prayer probably. Um, and there is prayer that accompanies the readings and it builds to the last nine days of a rosary every day. Um, but what I've come to find is that um, this book is really um, well-suited for um, shepherds, actually, um, priests uh, leading a flock. Um, and so we were really lucky to have, um, not lucky, but blessed to have Bishop Keenan, um, who I had met at the Romanian families. He took the, um, the book, he wrote us a, a beautiful um, forward, and then he agreed to, to use the book for his own personal consecration and lead his diocese. So we just actually concluded just over a week ago, a uh, consecration every day led by Bishop Keenan. So that was um, a tremendous blessing. Wow, that's incredible. I, I have loved listening so far and I've kind of scaled your websites too. And for our audience that's watching is that what she's doing is an effort to begin in parishes, rosary prayer groups composed of children and led by children. So that's the most amazing part about it. And it sounds like the fruits of it are just really incredible. And it's growing, isn't it? It's, it's a growing ministry. It's not, um, it's not stagnant at this point. No, no, it isn't. And um, the, you know, for this, this consecration book, I see as like a beautiful tool for the children to reach you know, the, their heights, the next level um, by consecrating everything to Jesus through their heavenly mother. But it's also, um, it's a way in for a lot of children who might do it in their schools or be led by a priest in a parish or something. And then at the end of it, um, it says, we'll join, you know, start up, join a prayer group. And having done this consecration with Bishop Keenan, um, he was leading it every night on his Facebook page. Um, at the end, there was a lot of disappointment that the, the nights were ending. People just enjoyed not only consecration, but just being so close to the shepherd, their shepherd and being led in this way. And so he was so moved to continue to pray every night with them. And someone the other night mentioned in his now nightly rosary that he's doing, he says, we're kind of like a prayer group. And I could then see the wisdom of, you know, how these two things, the child consecration book and the children's rosary work so beautifully together, because as if you are part of the children's rosary and you do the consecration, you come out and you've taken some big steps. You've moved into daily rosaries. You've um, kind of embraced a lot of the foundational things of our faith. And, but then what, you know, you can slip easily when you're new like that, you're young, tender plant, you're still, you know, setting your roots. And so if you have a prayer group there to help you, that's just going to let those roots go deep and get sturdy in the faith. And so um, for those kids, that helps. Um, and then even the adults that have been doing it, I think they see they need the same thing. And so Bishop Keenan was quick to jump in and, and help him. And when I, um, you know, I've been communicating with him and he's just sharing that he himself, he sees the beauty that's happening in his flock. There's family prayer taking root and um, people are so grateful to him for being close to him. And, but um, 
he himself has found per personal uh, grace is flowing. He said like a sense of belonging, but he feels like the supernatural sense of belonging and with his, and with his, um, the people that have been doing this with him, you know, that have been, been going on this journey of the consecration with him. And he said, it's one of the loveliest uh, experience of, experiences of his priesthood was doing this consecration. So it's been, um, so I hope if anybody's listening in there, either a priest or no priest, you can share this idea with them because um, priests have a really great role to play. Um, I mean, obviously so they bring us the Eucharist, but um, we've even seen this in the children's rosary. When you have a priest that prays with the children or is involved, it's like taking a little, like these prayers are like little bonfires. It's like throwing gasoline on them. They just get so strong and on fire. Uh, so if you have, I think the same thing's true of the consecration. You, if you have a priest leading you, it's, it's a beautiful thing and it's a great support. And uh, it just brings up the flock in tight with, the, with their shepherd, which is always a good thing. Well, I think we do have quite a bit of religious and priests and, and religious people that are watching this program because it's Fiat Ministry Network and it's all about saying yes to Jesus Christ. So yeah, I, I think it's an incredible thing. And again, the websites are childrensrosary.org and childconsecration.com. There's also online consecration downloads on the site, a children's rosary DVD and a children's uh, joyful mystery CD book. I noticed that on the website too. Are there any other resources that you'd want to tell our audience about? Well, um, you'll see uh, under the children's rosary, there's lots of um, how to pray the rosary. There's um, how to start a children's rosary prayer group, how to run a prayer group in your, um, and under the resources section, um, how to run a children's rosary prayer group in your parish. So there's lots of instructional videos and the, how to get the book and all of that on um, the child consecration site. Um, if you're not able to buy the book, you can actually do the consecration online as well. Um, and we have links to Bishop Keenan who led the, um, the consecration each night on his Facebook page. So you can actually go through that whole consecration with him leading you and pick your own dates. So, um, so there's lots of options with this and I'm hoping, you know, that many will consider, you know, making a consecration to Jesus through Mary. That's beautiful. Uh, I wondered if there's some families who are watching right now and thinking about all of your wonderful resources and everything that you'd shared, would you have any bits of advice for families of young children and people who do want to raise their children in the faith and to grow closer in faith as a family? Um, I would say it's never too young to start. I guess that's my, my thing is that they're just so tender. You don't know when they're first memories are going to be, even if you're playing the children's rosary CD in the nursery, you're having our Lord praised and, um, and there's great protection in that. And so if while they're moving around in their crib or their mother's holding them in their, in her arms and that rosary is gently being played with the soft music behind it, there's graces flowing. And so, um, so just the idea that we have three and four year olds playing the rosary. So don't think that young children are not open to this. They're actually the most open to it. So the, you know, getting them involved with praying the rosary at four and five is perfect and not too early. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Now, what age, when you say children's rosary, I, in my mind thinks like between uh, one to 12 or something like that, the preteen, is that what age groups you're talking about or does it go beyond that as well? 
we have on there four to 14, but I've always said, if you've got younger kids, bring them, especially if you've got a mom with multiple children, definitely bring them. The, the folks that are like 12 to 14 are probably more like helpers in a way. Like they you know they'll be up at the podium. And when you've got a little one who's kind of not sure, they're standing up next to that child helping because they're usually kneeling around the altar and the, the um, a child or two are at the podium leading a decade. So there's having a mixed age group in the parish setting is really nice because you've got mentorship and that's kind of how you engage the older kids. The older kids kind of get engaged when they see the little ones staring at them and mimicking everything. Then they sort of feel important and that they're doing something good. And the little ones just soak everything in and they, you know, and I also have a little snack usually at the end, which I've come to realize is quite a good idea because when kids have a little food afterwards or even prepare something, if it's before mass and they can take it home, they feel like, oh, okay. So there's a little reward to this and, um, and it's reinforcement. So it's, it's not absolutely necessary, but I've definitely seen it helps with maintaining the numbers in the group and growing the size of the group. Yeah, that's awesome. I know before the show started, we were talking about the idea that, especially in the United States, how to get your program to a lot of the churches, dioceses, and archdiocese. And I was even mentioning that I'm in the archdiocese of Philadelphia, and I think it would be awesome if my own archdiocese would, would do something like this. And I don't know how to go about that, but I can find out. Um, but I was wondering on that note, have any of the dioceses or archdiocese in the United States, are they doing it now that they can be consulted with? Or is that something that's kind of growing still? Well, I mean, we have endorsements from such as Cardinal Sarah, who's the prefect of the Congregation of Divine Worship and the sacraments. And so he's endorsed the prayer group movement. Um, and uh, there's groups in many, many um, dioceses throughout the United States um, and in schools and our own archbishop provided, um, well, the, our prior one had provided the imprimatur for our book and, and has been very supportive, the new one as well, um, the new archbishop with the program movement. So um, I don't think there is a diocese that has necessarily sort of said every school or every parish should have that, but every, but we've, we have, um, I haven't had any problems or anything with groups in a diocese and um, having any issues with that. So it's, it's been moving very smoothly. Um, and as I say, as people hear about it, um, they're very excited about it. It's always in a public place. So it's um, with permission of, of their pa the pastor or principal. So we can go through all the proper channels um, in that regard. And so people are just really excited to see kids praying again and having them have a relationship with our Lord, which is how you end up keeping them going to church later on as if they have a relationship with our Lord. So, um, they, you know, everybody's is, is very, been very supportive of it. So I don't think you'll find a lot of people um, giving, you know, that it becomes difficult necessarily to get permission for this type of thing in a parish or school. So, That's but yeah, but if we were to have a, a diocese where they said every school should have it, we would be, we'd be thrilled. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. So big shout out to people watching right now that this is the kind of thing that if we if Blythe could through through the help of the Lord and, and Our Lady, get it into some of the diocese and archdiocese, please do reach out to her. How would be the best way that uh, people who are watching to get in touch with you directly if they do want to talk about that or uh, dialogue about it? Um, I'll, I'll give you my personal email address, which okay. is fine. Um, it's my first name dot my last name at gmail.com. 
Um, we have some other children's rosary ones, but I feel like this is probably the most direct. So it's blythe.kaufman at gmail.com. So if you want to email me at that, that would be fine. Um, if you're in the United States, I know internationally it'd probably be hard, but our, the phone number is 860-785-3340. So there's a phone number there. Um, and yeah, we'll look forward to collaborating with you, helping you as best we can and appreciate your help. Yeah, that would be, that would be amazing. Uh, we are almost at the end of the show. I wondered if you had any clothing, closing thoughts before we end. Well, I'm just so grateful to you, Anne. Thank you for having me on the show. And um, yeah, just wherever the spirit leads, you know, just maybe it'll speak to someone and, um, and all for the glory of God. That's right. Yeah. I loved your show and, and it went fast because you had so much to teach us, to share with us. And, and so I thank you for, for being a guest on Journeys in Faith. Now, stay tuned because um, on a different day, pretty soon though, you can go to patreon.com slash patchworkheartministry where there's going to be a show called Five Minutes of Faith. It's going to be with Blythe and myself. The show is going to be three ways to grow in your prayer life. That is the Discover Your Mission series. Uh, that is a wonderful series from Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Ministry. There it is up on the screen. It's just like getting a church mission directly to your computer or to your phone. And you can see that there's different levels there for the membership. So do check that out and join Blythe and I on the show, Five Minutes of Faith. So again, Blythe, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Anne. And we'll see everyone here next Friday on Journeys in Faith. Journeys of Faith is a production of Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Ministry. For more information about Journeys of Faith, email info at fiatministrynetwork.tv. And be sure to friend, follow, and like us on social media. Just search Journeys in Faith with Anne DeSantis.